Good morning. May the fourth be with you. My name is Cameron Sprinkle, and uh, for those of you who uh, have been around a while, and may, like Steve said, it may seem a little bit, little bit odd uh, to be hearing from me at this point in the service, because normally I'm standing about uh, four feet this way and playing the guitar and, and, and playing music, uh, so you've come to associate me uh, with music, and uh, truthfully, that, that's how I identified myself for a long time, uh, was as a musical worshiper, and I, that was my thing. And uh, even back in the AIM days, uh, I had a screen name that was Cam the Music Man. And that was part of my identity, part of my screen name. Uh, But over the years, uh, God has taken me on a journey to discover a deeper and truer meaning of worship. And that has led me into a deeper and truer relationship with Him. Uh, And I want to share some of that with you today. I'm excited to share that with you. Um, So today we're going to talk about worship, uh, what it is, why we should do it, and how we can do it. And my prayer is that we'll leave with a biblical view of worship that leads us into a greater unity uh, with Jesus. And honestly, this is a a pretty big uh, topic. Uh, It's a lot to cover. Uh, So let's ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. I just want to pray before we move on. Uh, Holy Spirit, we uh, just ask that you would uh, guide us through this time. We thank you for your word and the the way that it um, guides us and um, the way that it leads us. And uh, we want to... Uh, really seek what you have to say about uh, what it means to worship you because we want to be um, good worshipers. We want to give you the praise uh, that you deserve. We want to give you uh, what it is that you deserve. So, uh, Jesus, we ask that you would uh, help us focus in this time and, and help us to uh, discover the truth of what it means to worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so before we dive into the Word, I want to give you a little bit of background about myself so you can kind of know where I'm coming from. Uh, I grew up in the church, and uh, my, uh, my family went to church, and on my mother's side, uh, they were very musical, uh, and they sang in, in the church. My dad's side, uh, they, were, they loved fishing. They were good at it. But my mom's side, my mom and my dad are here with us today, so thrilled. Uh, but my mom's side uh, was very musical, and so... Uh, our family gatherings on that side were like a Gaither homecoming, where we would all just sit around and just sing every song we knew while my Aunt Sharon played the piano. Uh, you know, in middle school, I was trying to figure out who I was and how to distinguish myself, and I found what I'd been looking for, Leonard Skinnerd. I actually thought these were just the coolest guys in the world, and uh, especially Alan Collins, who's to the left here, there he is, uh, he played a Gibson Explorer which is why I've got one that's backstage, actually. And uh, he played the Freebird solo, which uh, was a really, really big deal to me. Uh, and so this was what I aspired to be in life. This was my goal. And I think I, I, think I nailed it. <laughs> Thanks, Kev. That's my gift to you, is, is those two pictures. Get a good look at them, because we're, we're not going to show them again. Uh, so I got really into classic rock, especially Clapton, Hendrix, Almond Brothers. Uh, and then I went through a, a four-year Beatles phase, started with early Beatles, ended up with the weird stuff. Got into Paul McCartney and Wings after that. That was the path I chose after they broke up. Uh, but in college, I, uh, I dealt with heartbreak and depression, and I struggled to find passion and purpose in my life. And towards the end of my junior year, I, I bottomed out. And uh, I felt like God had removed uh, so many things from my life. And I remember this quote that I heard from Dr. Tony Evans on, on the radio where he said, sometimes you don't know that God is all you need until he's all you have. And at the end of my junior year, I felt like God was all I had because I didn't feel like I had anything else. And uh, it was there that I finally and truly surrendered my life to Christ. 
And in that new and hopeful season, I discovered the music of people like Matt Redman and Charlie Hall and David Crowder and my favorite, Hillsong United. And this music had, had a life and a vibrance and an authenticity to it like I'd never experienced before, and I just absolutely loved it. I resonated with it, and it meant so much to me. Um, I joined the Campus Crusade for Christ worship team at Ball State University, uh, which is where I met my lovely wife, Carissa, sitting back there. And uh, I was playing lead guitar, and she was singing the cute little Johnny and June story. It's going to be great for the grandkids someday. Uh, and then uh, after I graduated college, I took these songs back with me to my church in Kokomo, Morningstar Church, and uh, God began to clarify in me a calling to be in ministry full-time, and in December 2010, I, I came to Genesis Church and joined the staff full-time here. Now, my point in telling you all that is just to help you understand how big a part of my life that music has been. Uh, music was what I looked to for motivation, for comfort, for energy, uh, even for an escape. I couldn't really imagine life without music, and I didn't really know how to connect to God without music, and, and that's a problem. And over the last few years, the Lord has addressed that problem, and he's gently pressed into me and challenged my own personal view of worship. So today, I want to take a few minutes, uh, examine the context and the action verbs that surround the word worship as we see it in the Bible. And I want to ask, if you would, uh, to erase any preconceived notion of what you think worship is. Uh, to just pretend like you never heard that w- word before. Maybe, remember on Men in Black when they have the flashy thing? Just flashy thing yourself with for just that specific word. And uh, we're going to go to God's Word, and we're going to let God's Word define worship for us. So uh, let's go to uh, Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. Let's start there. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. So what do we see here? Uh, We see in this passage, we hear the command to sing, so we see music. Um, What else do we see? Uh, We see a, a physical postural element, and if you have your Bibles open, I'd love to uh, ask you to underline the words bow down and kneel uh, in that passage. Um, I want to make a note of that. And then lastly, we see an acknowledgement of his superiority. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care, that he is above us. And one other thing we see in verse 2 is that we are to come to him with thanksgiving. We're supposed to have something to offer or to give. So uh, we see bowing down in submission, and we see an offering. Uh, let's move to First Chronicles 16.29. It says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. So again, I want to ask you to underline the word offering. Here again, we see the people of God being told to bring something to God. And that phrase, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, this is again saying acknowledge him. Acknowledge his beauty, acknowledge his power, acknowledge his holiness, acknowledge his superiority. Now I want to flip over to the New Testament and the story of Jesus' birth. Uh, Most of us, uh, whether or not you grew up in church, you've heard of the three wise men. Uh, Those are the three guys that are in the nativity scene that people have uh, on their lawns at Christmas time. 
uh, this story actually, the story of Jesus' birth and the story of the three wise men actually gives us great insight as to what worship is. Uh, Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in Bethlehem in Judea? Born in both places. All right. Uh, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and said, and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So in verse 2, the wise men say that they're looking for Jesus, and they've come to worship him. So uh, we can assume that whatever they do when they get to Jesus, that's apparently what they think worship is. So if we have no previous concept of worship, we're going to keep an eye on these guys, and when they find Jesus, we're going to really watch them closely. And we're talking about a trio that will be forever identified as the wise men, so I think we can trust them. Matthew 2, verse 11 says, uh, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened the treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They bowed in submission, and they gave him something, an offering, which is just the same thing we just read in Psalm 95 and 1 Chronicles 16. And that's a theme that you will see throughout the Bible anytime that they talk about worship. So two things we've established so far about a biblical model of worship is, uh, the first one is, worship is a submissive posture of the heart. Worship is a submissive posture of the heart. That's what bowing down is. It's, it's being submissive. Um, in each example of worship that we read, there was a fundamental acknowledgement of God's superiority, a submissive posture of the heart. It's understanding that he is the Lord of everything. We just sang that in the song Cornerstone. We're saying you are the Lord of all. We acknowledge that everything was created by him and for him. He's the shepherd and we're the sheep. He's the dad, we're the kids. He's the creator, we're his creation. Worship starts with being mindful of that fundamental dynamic. He's here, we're down here. This is why I will often say that there's a worshipful way to drink your coffee. There's a worshipful way to listen to the message that everything we do here is worship. Worship doesn't start with music and end with music. The whole service can be, can be worship. You know, one time I said that, and my sister, who's also with us today, uh, she said after church, what's the worshipful way to drink your coffee? And I said, well, you've got to hold it uh, just like this, and you make sure you're facing east. No, the worshipful way to drink your coffee is to just uh, be thankful for it, appreciating the great taste that it has, appreciating the God who allowed you to have it, unless you drink it black, and then I'm not sure what there is to be thankful for. <laughs> the worshipful way to listen to the message is to mentally lean in a little bit, to focus, to take notes, and to ask God to speak to you through his word as it's taught to you. One of my, uh, I, get, I get emotional sometimes when I'm sitting out here and I see somebody furiously taking notes and just, you can see that they are just hungry. And that is an act of worship, to be doing that, to be honed in on what God is saying to you. There's a worshipful way to drive to work. There's a worshipful way to do your job. It's to do it with a submissive posture of your heart, to say, Lord, I love you and I'm going to do the absolute best that I can for you. Maybe no one else will ever see how hard I work or the work that I do. Maybe no one on earth will ever appreciate it. But I'm going to do my best, and I'm going to make it an act of worship to you. Maybe it's saying, uh, God, my coworker drives me crazy, but I'm going to love them. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be patient with them as an act of worship 
to you. I'm going to work with them with a submissive posture of my heart to the king, and I'm going to operate out of that dynamic. Worship is a submissive posture of the heart. Uh, the second thing that we see in the biblical model of worship is that worship is an offering that we give to God. Another way to say it is that worship is a sacrifice that we give to God. So in the previous example of, of work, worshiping through your job, it's the sacrifice of acknowledging that there's a higher calling on your life than to fulfill your own desires. You're sacrificing your own desires to serve the king. Another way that we worship by giving God something is through something we just did a few minutes ago, which is giving our tithes and offerings uh, back to the local church. When we consistently give a percentage of money back to God, it's a way of submitting to him and saying, uh, you, Jesus, are more valuable than this money, that I value you more than this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this back to you. And many times in Scripture it says uh, to come before him with thanksgiving. And that's another way that you can give an offering. Uh, you can come before him, you can enter this place uh, mindful of what he's done for you, even within the last week. You can come here with praises that you've brought, that you're ready to give him. Another offering would be to confess your sin, to uh, surrender your pride or your mistakes to him, to lay them at his feet and repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I don't want to be like that and I wish I hadn't done that. Offer your heart for evaluation and tell him that he has the authority to shape you in any way that he thinks you need shaping. That's a submissive posture of your heart. I think that the key to giving an offering is that it has to cost you something. This is the reason why uh, girls on Valentine's Day, when your boy comes home with the teddy bear that you know sits right next to the mints at CVS, are you excited about that? You think, oh, you remembered on the way home, heard something on the radio, you swung by CVS, grabbed some gum and a teddy bear. Thanks. Thanks for that. It has to cost you something. And, and when you see your spouse or your significant other, you see that they've gone to some kind of great lengths, that they thought about it beforehand, it means something to you. We're wired that way because God is like that. That's his character. He wants to see us give him something that we thought about, that we prepared, that means something to us. And this is the posture that we should have when we come together on Sundays. And this is fundamentally different than, I think, the way that I thought of worship, and maybe the way you thought of worship too. But I thought if I just come and show up that I'd receive something. But the biblical model of worship is that you come ready to give something to the king. You come with your hearts in a submissive posture. Uh, There's a movie called The Avengers, which you may have heard of. It's like the most successful movie ever or something. Uh, It's great. I'm so excited that Terry Trowbridge is with us today. He's my comic book superhero buddy. Uh, But this movie was fantastic. This is about um, a group of superheroes that come together to save the world. Uh, This guy over here with the bow and arrow, his name is Hawkeye. And uh, his super uh, gift is that he can see really well. And so he's great with a bow and arrow. Uh, Ironically, being named Hawkeye, he can't fly. So at one point, uh, Captain America tells Hawkeye that he needs to get up on a skyscraper uh, so that he can kind of be a lookout. Uh, But he can't get up there because he can't fly. So he goes and he stands next to Iron Man, who's the guy with his hand out like this. And uh, Iron Man just grabs him. Iron Man can fly, ironically, since iron is so heavy. Uh, He can fly. So he grabs him and just just blasts through the top of the skyscraper. And he sets Hawkeye up on the top of this building. It required nothing of Hawkeye. 
He made no sacrifice. It cost him nothing. And there he was at the top of this building. You know, for a long time, that was how I viewed worship music. I thought, if I just go stand next to it, if I just go listen to it, it would take me somewhere or make me feel something. And sometimes it would, but that's just not a complete picture of what worship is. Sometimes corporate worship can be like that. And when it is, it is amazing and it's a gift. But sometimes uh, worship is like, sometimes worship is like hitching a ride from Iron Man and blasting to the top of a skyscraper. But I think that we should learn to take the stairs. We should be willing to take the stairs. To take intentional steps toward God, even if they're just little steps. You might be thinking, that sounds like a lot of work to take the stairs all the way up a skyscraper. Well, sometimes the truth is, it is. It is work. Sometimes we worship out of joy, and it's natural and organic. Uh, And sometimes we worship out of discipline. And sometimes we have to do it even though we don't feel like it. You know, I think that sometimes Satan will trick us into uh, not worshiping because he'll come in and tell us these little lies. He never comes straight at you with, uh, you know, Jesus isn't real or something crazy that you will recognize as the devil's voice. He always comes at you with something that's a little bit believable but will just slightly divert you from the the plan that God has for you. And so he'll say something like, uh, hey, you know what you did this week. You're not in a good place to worship. How dare you think about coming before your king with the, the things that you were thinking about on the way here. God doesn't want inauthentic worship, so don't even think about it. And you start thinking, you know what, that makes sense. He's pure and holy. I probably shouldn't sing right now because I don't feel like it. Well, let me ask you this. If my wife, Carissa, asked me to unload the dishwasher, and I said, you know what, I'm not going to do that, and here's why. Uh, I don't feel like it, and uh, I want to make sure that when I unload the dishwasher, I want my whole heart to be in it, and I want to do it as, uh, with a 100% love, and I want to really feel it when I unload the dishwasher for you. You think, if I said that, that she would say, I appreciate your integrity. I don't want you to unload the dishwasher if your whole heart's not in it. You just go, and if you have a point where you feel overwhelmed with love for me and you want to come in and unload the dishwasher, then do it. But until then, do not touch those dishes. No, she wouldn't say that. Uh, because unloading the dishwasher, for my wife, is a discipline. And sometimes, worship is a discipline. This is why we have to learn to take the stairs. We have to be willing to move towards him. You know, around here uh, at Genesis, we like to say often that uh, right emotions follow right actions. That when you do the right thing, eventually you feel like doing it. But sometimes you don't feel like doing it, but you got to do it anyway. I never want to unload the dishwasher. It's never something I would choose to do if I could do anything. But when I get over there and I start thinking, I'd rather be doing this than Carissa, I wouldn't stop right now and say, you know what, you come finish this. I really don't want to do this. I always get there and I think, I'd rather be doing this. Like, I don't want her to have to do this. My heart begins to change, and it started with an act of discipline. And the truth is, uh, with regards to corporate worship, what we do when we come together, there's so many obstacles to being able to come in here and sing songs and mean it. Um, a lot of us have a lot of our, on our minds when we get here. Many of you are trying to corral your little ones back to gen kids and uh, maybe trying to flag down somebody to figure out who to tell about the hot chocolate that they just spilled. I know it's crazy trying to get kids in here. Uh, maybe you've had a tough week and, and uh, things didn't go the way you planned or 
God didn't show up the way you hoped he would. And maybe it took all the courage that you had just to show up. And you, you don't have what it takes uh, to praise Jesus. Maybe you just don't have uh, the right mindset and you think, I don't know how I can praise a God that I, I'm frustrated with right now. And then the band plays three songs that you don't know or don't like. And you think, how am I supposed to connect with God with this song that I don't like or I don't know? And the answer, I think, is a little bit tough. But I think that the answer that you should be connected to God before you get here. If you are relying on this to be your Iron Man, to blast you somewhere, then uh, you may be disappointed because that puts a lot of pressure on us to pick just the right songs. It puts a lot of pressure on us to have just the right environment. But if you've been praising him throughout the week, you've been having a relationship and a conversation, then this will be a continuation of that conversation, and you'll be ready to worship. We're always going to have preferences, but as mature believers, I think that our desire to praise God should be able to supersede our preferences. It's not easy. Trust me, it's not easy. It's not any harder for anybody than it is for me. Uh, I'm extremely critical uh, about worship music. You know, when I go to other churches, it's really hard for me to stop analyzing and stop thinking about, yeah, that guitar could be, you know, a little louder or whatever. It's hard to shut it off. It's hard to shut off your preferences. Uh, so I don't want you to think I'm asking you to do something that, that I don't have to do. But one way to do that with a song that you don't naturally connect with is to evaluate the lyrics for truth. And if you find truth about God, which you will, that's why we choose these songs, uh, then you can say, Lord, I'm thankful that that's true about you. Or you may say, God, I don't feel like praising you right now, but I know you deserve it. And you can begin to affirm in your mind and in your heart the words that you're hearing. You can say, Lord, you are good when there's nothing good in me. Lord, I don't see it right now. I don't understand it, but I believe that your love never fails. But another thing, for those of you who either don't like to sing or don't think you have a good voice, uh, music is all over the Bible. Even the biblical description of heaven includes these beings that circle around God's throne and they sing nonstop. They sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Um, I think that God loves music. I think that he gave it to us as a gift, and I think that he loves it when his creation sing to him. You know, if he didn't love it, don't you think he'd have them stop after a while? You know what, guys, I appreciate it, but you can take a break. No, the Bible says they do it nonstop. I think it's because he loves it. Maybe for some of you, that's another offering you can make. You can engage with these songs and sing these songs to the God who wants to hear you, even though you'd prefer, personally prefer not to sing. And if you're insecure about your singing voice, I've got an encouragement for you. The Bible says, make a joyful noise. It doesn't say make a perfect noise. It says make a joyful noise. And this is between you and God. Don't worry about the people around you. Just give him the praise that he deserves. Uh, there's one last thing I want to say uh, about corporate worship before we move on, and that's this. Um, it is hard to be in a good frame of mind to worship God when you're getting here seven, eight, ten minutes late. I know it's hard to get woke up and get warmed up for church. I am not a morning person, so I relate. Uh, but what if you moved up your routine by just 15 minutes? What if preparing your heart for worship wasn't something that happened during the first couple songs that we played? 
What if you started taking steps up the stairs of worship before you get here, before you come in those doors? But what if you started preparing on your way here, or even at breakfast, or even on Saturday night? You could begin to say, Lord, prepare my heart for tomorrow morning. I'm excited to come and sing to you with my friends. I believe that if we make this time together a priority, we get in here early, we get focused, we'll see more fruit from our corporate worship together as a church. And more importantly, God will get the full attention that he deserves. Now, one other thing that's wrong, the last thing that's wrong with the show up and hope to feel something mindset is that it relegates worship to a particular location or activity. Uh, Many of us think of this room as the place where we worship. Uh, Again, I want to lovingly challenge you that if this is the only place that you worship God, then you are missing out. You're missing out on something wonderful because praise should be a way of life. And this is where the fun really begins because this is one way to really open up your relationship with the Lord and go deeper with Him. Uh, having an ongoing conversation with Him will bring satisfaction and fulfillment to your life. I'll give you an example. Um, the story that I'm about to tell is a story that among my friends and in my connection group that we affectionately refer to as the salmon story. Uh, this was a, uh, a couple years ago, Carissa and I were living in an apartment in Noblesville when we first got to Genesis, and we were uh, trying to be tight with our money. We were trying to get some debt paid off and, and uh, trying to just, I don't know, just be frugal, be good stewards. And, uh, but one night we decided we were going to splurge, and we bought some salmon from Kroger. And this was a big deal. And I was thinking about it all day, looking forward to it. And that night, uh, got out the vegetable oil, was frying it up or cooking it. I guess braising may be the phrase. I don't know. Either way, there's a lot of garlic salt involved because uh, that's how I cook everything. Uh, so I got the salmon uh, just about cooked up. And then Carissa gets a phone call from one of her friends, a very dear friend of ours who we love very much. And this was one of those phone calls where she needed Carissa. And I, uh, I get emotional every single time I talk about Carissa ministering to women because uh, that's who God created her to be. She is amazing at encouraging and loving uh, girls in her life. And so um, I said, you go. Go and do your thing. Go do what God created you to do. Uh, so then there I was with, uh, with a salmon that was just about done and that I'd been looking forward to, and I didn't have anybody to share it with. And so I sat down and... Uh, I was mad, you know, because I wanted, I was frustrated. Uh, I, I took a bite, and it was so good. And because Carissa wasn't there, I just had to share it with somebody. I said, Lord, this is so good. I'm so grateful for this. It tastes amazing. And I felt like the Lord came and sat down at the table and said, good. I'm glad you like that. And I took another bite, and I said, seriously, this is so good. And he just kept telling me, like, you know, I, I made that tasty because I love you. And I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm glad you're giving me praise for that. And I had this really, the most beautiful, intimate meal that I've ever had uh, with God. And who knew that you could have uh, an incredible worship session eating a plate of salmon by yourself? But I did. And I felt peace in my heart. And I felt resolved. I didn't feel frustrated anymore. I didn't feel like I was missing something or missing uh, an experience. And the reason is uh, joy isn't complete until it's expressed. God has wired you 
to feel unresolved until your joy is expressed. I think the key is to guide your joy all the way back to its source. To anything that makes you joyful, anything that you're grateful for, you stop and you say, where does this come from? You say, Lord, this comes from you. That's the part we have to work on. We have to work on our spiritual awareness in its very simplest form, which is simply acknowledging that there is a creator. So before we move on, here's one quick little challenge that I want to challenge you with. Uh, I want to challenge you to make a conscious effort to be aware of reasons to praise God this week. And here's a hint. Anything that makes you take out your phone and take a picture. So if it's your grandkids, if it's uh, sunset, maybe it's your meal that you're thinking about posting on Instagram, stop for a second and say, Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for the sweet gift, my king. You know, one thing I like to say when I'm experiencing a beautiful moment is a line from a song called The Doxology, uh, which we'll actually sing later. It says, praise God from whom all blessings flow. So I'll just be overwhelmed by something, uh, and I'll just think, I've got to... I've got to respond in some way. I feel unresolved. And I'll say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Just giving him praise for that. And you feel that resolution in your soul. Because it's a submissive posture of the heart. Acknowledging that we're in his pasture. We're playing on his playground. Whose sunset is that that inspires me so much? It's his sunset. Whose child is that that brings me so much joy? It's his child. Whose guacamole is that that tastes so good? It's his guacamole. It was probably made by Grant Chapman. Is he in this service? I think I saw him back there. He makes incredible guacamole. Uh, Isn't this the same thing, though, that you teach your kids? You teach your kids, this is daddy's house, but he lets you live here because he loves you. Right? Or you say, this is your mother and I's car. You get to drive it because we love you. There's two things that you always make sure they understand. One, they know whose it is. It's yours. And the second thing you always make sure they understand is that you don't have to give them anything. You don't owe them anything. Now, why is it that you want them to know that? It's because you want them to understand this is the choice that you're making to love them. Because that's so much more assuring than a robotic, emotionless relationship. You're telling them, I'm doing this because I love you. And when done properly, doesn't that lead to genuine respect and obedience and submission from the child? That's the hope, right? This is what a healthy relationship between a parent and a child should look like. And this is why God has wired us to feel unresolved. Uh, it's why he's resi- wired us to feel resolved when we got our joy back to him with a submissive posture of our hearts. Because we show that we respect his authority and his authorship of all things, and he gets a chance to say that he loves us. We say, this is fantastic. It comes from you. Thank you so much. And he says, I made that because I love you. And that's why it's so fantastic. The sun could go down without all the colors, without the pink and purple. I think he made it that way because he loves us, and he knew that in 2014 we'd all be posting it on Instagram. (laughs) Food could be tasteless. He gave it taste because he loves us. It would be every bit as nourishing without the flavor. I think he did it because he loves us. And he loves it when we say, man, this tastes good. He says, I thought you'd like that. In many instances, uh, in the Bible, we're implored or commanded to worship God. And there are many commands in the Bible that people turn into legalism because they don't understand uh, why he's given us these rules. Uh, They just think they're just rules to be obeyed. But I want to encourage you that all of God's commands are for our own good. 
Why confess your sin? So that the secret won't rule over you. God never wants to stick your face in it and make you feel stupid for screwing up again. He wants you to be free from it. Why give 10% of your income back to God? It's so that we can be reminded that money doesn't rule over us. God doesn't need our money. He wants to see us be generous because generosity is so much more fulfilling than greed. Think about the most generous person you know and the peace and the love that they have in their life. Now think about the greediest person you know. Maybe not a specific person, but think about a greedy person and how that wears on you to live like that. Don't you see how the things that glorify God are also just what happens to be the best thing for us? It's no coincidence. He designed it that way. So why should we worship? We should worship because worship leads us into a relationship with Jesus. Worship leads us into a relationship with Jesus. It leads us into a conversation with God. And this is the part that if you only get one thing from today, I want you to listen up to this one thing. God has some incredible things that he wants to say to you. Some of you have been desperate to hear God's voice in your life. And maybe you're not fully aware of that, but you know there's something missing. We talked about it last week as uh, lead pastor Paul Muma was here talking about where we look for satisfaction. If you're tired and you're burdened, God wants to say, come to me and I will give you rest. If you're struggling with finding purpose in your life, God wants to say, the plans and the purpose that I have for you are so much greater than anything you could ever come up with. If you struggle with acceptance or affirmation, God wants to say to you, no one thinks more highly of you than I do. But I think that Luke 11.9 tells us uh, why we have to be able to take the stairs in worship because I think that God wants us to start the conversation. He has amazing things he wants to say to us, but he wants us to start the conversation. In Luke eleven nine, Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. We've got to be willing to act first, to take a step toward God and to start that conversation. Because you can come in here, and you can just stand here and observe this experience. You can just stand here and observe these wonderful people singing these beautiful songs, and just kind of keep, your, keep it at arm's length. You can come and listen to Steve preach, bring the Word of God, and mentally and in your heart just kind of keep it at arm's length. I know that's possible because I've done that. But when you engage uh, with a submissive posture of your heart, and you really engage with whatever you're hearing or the words that, that we're singing, when you ask, when you seek, when you knock, Jesus said, the door will be opened you. He didn't say nine times out of ten the door will be open to you. He said the door will be open to you. Powerful things happen when you knock on the door. Seek and you shall find. What was he referring to? I think that when we seek and we will find rest for your souls. You'll find passion. You'll find purpose. You'll find identity. You'll find redemption. You'll find renewal. You'll find healing of many kinds. You want to know why we cry sometimes when we come together and we sing these songs? It's because we're experiencing an extremely significant moment. Um, as humans, we often cry in moments that are extremely significant to us, um, whether they're happy or sad. So childbirth, weddings, graduations, funerals, uh, being reunited with somebody that you haven't seen for a long time. The emotions and the tears 
are evidence of a connection. And we cry when we engage with the truth of who God is because we're connecting with him. When those wires touch, powerful and incredible things happen. And we're wired to do this regardless of whether or not we know him. Uh, I've seen this because we, we see people that are far from God who wander in here because they saw the sign outside or maybe they know somebody, they got invited. They come and, and they hear these songs and they just cry and afterwards they say, you made me cry. And they don't even know what's happening. But it's because when you engage with God, you engage with the truth of who he is, it activates something deep inside of you. Sometimes that you don't even know it's there, but it's, like, it's almost like involuntary because he's wired you to do that. When we worship him, we open ourselves up to him and he has an opportunity to address us. And he can address the deepest parts of your soul in a way that nothing else can. So we're going to sing a few more songs together. Uh, before we do, I want to ask you this. What's an offering that you can bring to God, even right now, as we prepare to sing? Is there an insecurity that you can lay at his feet? where you can say, Lord, this does not define me. You define me. That's a submissive posture of the heart. Is there unconfessed pride or self-dependence? Have you been finding your value in what you do or how well you do it? That's something I struggle with. Is there something wonderful that he's done in your life that you can praise him for? Is there something simple in your life you can praise him for? Did your car start today? Have you been searching for completion, fulfillment, or satisfaction in something besides Jesus? I want to invite you to confess that to him. So before we sing this next song, uh, even right now, I want to invite you to bow your heads, uh, to let your physical posture lead your heart's posture. I want to invite you to enter a conversation with Jesus. Praise him for the splendor of his holiness. Praise him for dying for you. Praise him for providing for you. Praise him for being a wonderful savior. And then posture your hearts towards him and listen for those sweet words that he wants to say to you. Come find grace, healing, and peace at the throne of Jesus.